Good afternoon, everyone. Delightful to see you. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. If you have one, go with me to the Gospel of John, chapter 9. The Gospel of John, chapter 9. If you're new to our congregation, my name is Rich. I'm the lead pastor here. And at the end of our service, I'll be downstairs in the lobby area with some of our pastors and would love to meet you and greet you if we've never connected with you before. We've been on a series of teachings focusing on the theme of humility, and uh, over the past few weeks, we've covered various declarations of humility, and I mentioned at the start that this series was going to be good for our souls, but painful for our false selves, and uh, the various declarations that we've explored so far, the first one was, humility says, there's nothing beneath me. The second declaration was, humility says, have mercy on me. The humble person says, have mercy on me. The third declaration uh, Pastor Sharon mentioned last week, uh, I need to change. That humble people recognize I need to change. And for this fourth message in this series, we're looking at John chapter 9. And the humble declaration is, I have blind spots. The humble person says, I have blind spots. Humble people recognize that I don't see the full picture as it pertains to myself, as it pertains to God, as it pertains to the world. I have blind spots. And so we're looking at this passage out of John chapter 9. I'm going to read the first 11 verses. And, uh, and then from time to time, I'm going to come back to the story. It's one of the longer stories in the Bible and if I read the entire passage, by the time I was done, it's time to close the service. And so I'm going to read the first 11 verses, and then I'm going to come back periodically to this really well-crafted story about um, a blind man who Jesus heals. And so uh, beginning in verse number one, you can follow on the screen as well. Hear the word of the Lord. It says, as Jesus went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. But this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. And while I am the light of in the world, while I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. Verse 6. After saying this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he said, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means scent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that it was. Others said, no, it only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. How then were your eyes open, they asked. He replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to the Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and then I could see. Let's pray together. Lord, speak to us now. Truly open our eyes so that we may see what you want us to see. 
And may you gain glory through our lives. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. I remember the first time I preached at New Life Fellowship Church. It was 2008. It was my first sermon. And I didn't know that there was a custom that uh, Pastor Pete had after someone preaches a sermon, particularly when a pastor preaches at New Life. And the custom was that after the first service, uh, we would review the sermon to help us improve and make some adjustments for the next service that we preach. And so I wasn't aware of this custom. And so I preached the message, went down to the lobby, shook hands with many of you as I typically do. And then Pastor Pete said, well, let's go into the blue room so we can talk about your sermon. And I'm thinking, why would we do that? Uh, this doesn't sound like a good idea. And uh, what's the problem? There was nothing wrong with the message. This is a fine message. And he said, no, no, let's just go into the blue room and talk about the message. And so he gets there and I'm already defensive. I'm already on edge. I'm already wondering what's he going to say. And very gently he says, do you know what you can do? And inside I'm thinking, do you know what you can do? Um, (laughs) And he... He proceeded to give me some feedback, which was really wonderful feedback, and it strengthened my message for the next service. Now, at that moment, what I needed was humility because I had a lot of blind spots, and I couldn't see what I really needed to see, and I needed an outside perspective to help me gain the full picture. And yet it was very hard because this moment called for humility and what was in me was pride and what was in me was shame. And I failed to see that humility really is the pathway to freedom because the humble person does not have to live under the pressure of being perfect. The humble person does not live under the pressure of having to know it all, of having to be it all. We can live in the freedom of being a human being with all of our weaknesses and confessing that I have a blind spot. And yet it's often very difficult for us to confess this. Now the phrase blind spot is a term that many of us are familiar with. When you drive, it's often the case that you look to the, re- the side view mirror and there's another car that, it, that, that the mirror does not pick up. And it's hard to often see, and it's a blind spot. And it's a blind spot, and it's very dangerous because you could switch lanes, and the mirror does not pick it up, and you can find yourself in a disastrous situation. And yet, we find ourselves in a very similar way with blind spots in our lives because blind spots are not just dangerous on the road, blind spots are dangerous off the road. Relationships fail because of blind spots. Misunderstandings occur because of blind spots. Nations go into war because of blind spots. And here's the fundamental difference. When we're driving and you don't see the car on the other side, we want to see our blind spots. But when we're not driving, it's often the case that we don't want our blind spots to go detected. But humility says, I don't see the full picture. And I need other people to help me see. Humility says I recognize that my vision and my perspective is limited. 
Can you help me see? Humility says, I recognize, I don't know it all. I can't see it all. Can you help me to see? Imagine if our relationships were characterized in this way. Imagine when you went to work tomorrow and your boss says, I recognize that I don't see the full picture of how to be a great boss. Can you help me to see how I can be a better supervisor? You'd be like, oh, praise the Lord. Imagine if your spouse came up to you and said, your husband, your wife, and said, I recognize I don't see the full picture. And I want to be a better husband. I want to be a better wife. Can you help me to see how I can do better? You'd be like, thank you, Jesus. Imagine if your parents said, listen, I realize that I have not been parenting you well. And there are things that I can shift. How can I be a better parent? Could you help me to see the joy that would come in the home? And yet, this often goes missing from our lives. In our text this morning, in John chapter 9, Jesus heals a man who's born blind. And we're going to find out that the truly blind people in the story was not the man who Jesus healed. It was the religious leaders who thought that they saw everything with clarity and failed to see that they had many blind spots. In John 9, we have the story of Jesus encountering a blind person, and Jesus would go on to heal him. And it's important to note that there are many miracles in the Gospels where Jesus is healing a blind man, and it's very intentional. You ever notice that Jesus never heals someone's spleen? He never heals someone's appendix? He never heals someone's broken arm? He's always healing someone who's blind or something along those lines. And the reason for that is because Jesus was not just demonstrating his power to heal bodies. His miracles were also very symbolic as well. Because he wanted the world to know, I'm not just healing your eyes. I want to heal you to let you know that you need spiritual vision as well to see God active in your life. And so much of Jesus' miracles were very symbolic, which is why he was healing eyes most of the time. And yet, when you see the story, you see this interesting trajectory. As the story moves on, the blind man sees clearer and clearer and clearer and clearer. And as the story goes on, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, get more blind and blind and blind and blind. When we pick up in the story, Jesus is with his disciples, and they encounter this man who's born blind. And right after they notice him, the disciples ask a question, Rabbi, who sinned? This man or his parents that he was born blind? Now, in ancient times, and uh, there's not much difference today for many people, it was widely held that suffering, and especially any kind of disaster, especially something like blindness, was due to sin. Who messed up here that someone experienced this level of, of pain? Now, back in the day, there was a rabbinic saying that said, there is no death without sin. And there is no suffering without iniquity. And so the disciples are perplexed. They're saying, how can this guy be born blind? What did his parents do? Or what did he do? And the reason why they asked that question was because Rabbinic teaching held that it was possible for an unborn baby to sin in the womb. 
you know you're a bad kid if you're sinning in the womb already. This is a bad kid. Watch out for this kid. The kid's already sinning in the womb. And so they asked the question. And Jesus rejects both of these ideas. And Jesus says, the suffering is not due because of sin. This blindness is not the result of sin of the man or his parents. But on the contrary, it happens so that God's works, God's power might be shown in the man. Let me me just parenthetically say it this way, that there are times where God allows us to go through a situation because he's preparing us for revelation. There are moments when God allows us to go through a situation because he's preparing us for a particular revelation. Let me say it this way. Some of you might be experiencing sickness. Some of you might be experiencing some illness. And sometimes God allows you to go through a situation so that you can get a revelation that he is healer. Amen. Sometimes God allows us to go through lack and need so that so that we could get a full picture that he is the one who provides that we get a revelation of his provision in our lives sometimes you go through a situation because god wants to give you a revelation i I feel like preaching already here all right and so and so be encouraged be encouraged be encouraged some of you are wondering why am i in this situation It just might be that there's a revelation waiting for you. That God is about to blow your mind and show you a facet of his character that you would not see otherwise. Amen. I'm I'm trying, Ken. I'm trying. I'm trying. Here we go. And so, this is the third service. I feel it here. Amen. Okay. And so. Jesus continues, he spits on the ground, he makes mud, and he places it on the guy's eyes. And he would say, John would say very simply, Jesus says, wash in the pool. And the man would wash in the pool. And John says very plainly that the man came home seeing. It's beautiful. And after this scene, there's a lot of chatter. A lot of conversations, a lot of action in the neighborhood. And the story goes essentially like this. Right after the guy gets healed, the neighbors come on the scene and they say, isn't that the guy who was born blind? And then another neighbor says, no, 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 it only looks like him. And the blind guy says, no, that's me. I'm the guy. Jesus healed me. Then they go, where is he? I don't know. And then the Pharisees get involved. You ever wonder, the Pharisees are always behind some bush. And all of a sudden, they just, they just come out. And the Pharisees get involved. And they're upset. Why are they upset? Because Jesus healed this man on the Sabbath. They're upset about it. And so the Pharisees, they, they call the guy's parents. Because they didn't believe he was born blind. And so they go, was your son born blind? And the parents say, that's our son. He was born blind. They take out their phone. They go, look at the pictures. He was was, was, was born blind. They had had phones back then. And then then the, the, the parents are nervous because they think if we associate with Jesus, we are going to get judged too. 
And so they tell the Pharisees, ask him directly. He's a big boy. Ask him directly. And so they press the guy more and more. And then we pick up in verse 24. Look at what it says. It says, a second time they summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God by telling the truth, they said. We know this man, speaking about Jesus, we know that Jesus is a sinner. And he replied, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, amen, but now I see. Then they asked him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And he answered, I told you already, and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? And then he drops this line on them. Do you want to become his disciple too? That's like, that's a fight on the block. That's a fight on the block. You want to be his disciple too? And so the Pharisees are insulted. They kick the guy out of the community. After they kicked him out, Jesus hears about this and finds him. And I just love that Jesus finds us. Don't you love that? He finds us. And after he finds them, this is what it says in verse 38. It says, Jesus heard they had thrown him out. And when he found him, he said, do you believe in the son of man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. And Jesus said, you have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. And the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. Now, when we look at the story, the question is, who are we in the story? And I want to identify ourselves with a couple of characters. The first character is, we are the blind man. We are the one who could not see. And then Jesus comes into our lives and he heals us. We were once blind, but now we see. That's what it means to be rescued. That's what it means to be saved. That's what it means to be in relationship with Jesus Christ. I once was blind, but now I see. And so on one level, we are like the man born blind. However, I want to put that on hold for a second and identify the ways that we are like the Pharisees. Because the Pharisees believe they can see clearly. And they are the epitome of pride in this moment, not humility, but pride. They refuse to believe that they don't see. They think their vision is crystal clear about God, about themselves, and about the world around them. And so Jesus notices this and gives a word of judgment to them. And this is what he says in verse 41. If you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see... Your guilt remains. The Pharisees are so set in their ways. They believe they see so clearly about everything. And I re when I look at the story, I realize I'm just like them too. And when you look at the story, and if you're honest with yourself, you're just like them too. Pride says, I see just fine. Humility says, I have many blind spots and I need an outside perspective to help me to see. And so to confess our blind spots, namely, means a couple of things. First, it means I don't see everything about myself. I don't see everything about myself. Therefore, I need an outsider's perspective 
to help me see more accurately. And from time to time, I need correction to help me see more accurately. I need to open myself up to another perspective so that I could see what other people see, but I'm too close to it. So I can't see it. And yet it is so hard to open ourselves up to an outside perspective. It is so hard to open ourselves up to correction from another person. And on many levels, there's a reason why this is hard. On one level, this is hard because, let's be frank, some people just don't know how to give good correction. Some people just don't know how to give good perspective. And so the, the, the way that they do it is so uh, painful and without wisdom that it's hard to receive it. Another reason why it's hard to receive outside perspective and correction is because for some of us, we grew up in such a perfectionistic home that you felt you were getting corrected all the time. Oh, you're, you were never doing anything right. It was always, you got to do it this way. You can't do it this way. And so you were always feeling corrected. And so here you are, 40, 50, 60, 70 years old, and then someone corrects you and you're transported back to when you were six and seven years old. And so it's very difficult to receive it. But truth be told, we have a hard time receiving an outsider's perspective and receiving any kind of correction because we don't like to be told that we need to change. And we don't like to be told that we need to make any kind of adjustments because what it does is it reminds us often of our failures. It reminds us of our shortcomings. And reminds us how inadequate we really are. And so we resist it, not necessarily because of pride, but because of shame. I thought about this recently uh, with a particular project that I'm involved in. I'm in the process of finishing uh, a book that I'm writing. It's coming out sometime in the fall and very excited about it. I've been working on this for a number of years. And I wrote, I wrote many pages, felt really great about it. And by the time I finished the first manuscript, I was like, oh, this is pretty good stuff. I feel really good about this. This is great. I sent it to some friends. They're like, yeah, th this is great. I'm thinking, this is fantastic. But that's just the first stage. I have to now give it to an editor who's now going to give me some feedback. And so I give it to the editor, email it, feeling really good about myself. Like, yeah, this is, going, this is, going, this is great. And I'm anticipating that the editor is going to read it and go, wow. I've never read anything like this in my life. This, this changed my life. No changes. Thank you, Rich. I have nothing to change in this here. And that's not what I got at all. I sent the email, and after a few weeks, the editor sent me back an email and said something to the approach of just like, like you're going to want to sit down. And I was just like, what do you mean I'm going to want to sit down, you know? And so I get the email, and I'm already nervous. I'm like, what in the world is she going to say? How is she now going to, what, what corrections is she going to make? And, and so I sit down. I'm already anxious. I say, honey, Rosie, sit next to me, baby. I need some support. And so I sit down. 
And no lie, Rosie's holding my hand as I'm reading this email on the, on the couch here and uh, holding my hand. And, and the first thing this editor says is, Rich, this is great, but you got to cut 15,000 words out of this thing. I'm thinking, oh, no, this, this doesn't sound good. And she says, and, and that's clumsy here and that's clunky there. And I'm thinking, oh, no, and as I'm reading, I'm just, just slipping deeper into the, the couch. I'm about to, I'm melting, you know. I'm just like, what in the world is going on? And in that moment, she was showing me all the various blind spots that I had on so many areas, but this is what I realized about myself, that in that moment, I was not just re resisting uh, her correction because of pride, like I'm much better than this. There was just so much shame lurking in me that it reminded me once again that I don't have my act together. It reminded me once again that I'm still failing. It reminded me once again that I still have work to do. And it exposed, it's very vulnerable. It exposed me in that moment. And I realized that the power of shame, it still has a presence in my life. Shame. I'm reminded of something that our, our brother, William Baron Neville, said to me some three years ago. William, if you don't know William, well, after every service, uh, no lie, uh, when William sits here, in the front row, I, I, I preach, I, I say amen, I give the benediction, and William always has like a wonderful word, just like, Rich, this sermon reminded me of this phrase that I heard in AA meetings and what have you, and I preached one time on shame, and I came down, I gave the blessing, and William, as he typically says, says, you know what this reminded me of? About how an acronym I heard of shame in one of my meetings in the rooms. And I said, what was that? And he said, shame, the acronym for shame is should have already mastered everything. That, that's should have already mastered everything. And William, I remember that some three years ago when you told me that. And I have, I've, I've, I've repeated that in my mind over and over and over again. Because that's often how we feel. When, I, when we feel correction, when we get outside perspective, it reminds us of our inadequacies. It reminds us of our failures. And then the question becomes, where am I going to root my identity? In the words of other people or in what God has already spoken over me? That's the question, isn't it? The gospel message is the message that Jesus Christ is Lord and that my identity is to be found in his love. And when you can live in this reality, this is why prayer is so important. This is why silence is so important to really take that word in. Jesus Christ is Lord and my identity is found in his love. When this becomes the truth to our lives, no longer are we protecting a false self. No longer do you have to be defensive. No longer do you have to be ashamed of not holding it all together or having it all together. The gospel says, yes, you are frail. Yes, you're going to make mistakes. And I love you with an everlasting love. And unless we root our identity in God's love and not the words of people, we will rise and fall by the words of people. It reminded me what Henry Nouwen said. And this is an excerpt of a, a quote of his that I have repeated over and over again. Hear these words. He says, at issue here is the question, to whom do I belong? God or to the world? Many of my daily preoccupations suggest that I belong more to the world than to God. A little criticism makes me angry and a little rejection makes me depressed. 
A little praise raises my spirits, and a little success excites me. It takes very little to raise me up or thrust me down. Often I'm like a small boat in the ocean, completely at the mercy of its waves. All the time and energy I spend in keeping some kind of balance and preventing myself from being tipped over and drowning shows that my life is mostly a struggle for survival. Not a holy struggle, but an anxious struggle resulting from the mistaken idea that it is the world that defines me. And yet the person who roots their identity in the love of God no longer is raised up or torn down by the words of others because your identity is in something deeper than that, the love of God. And so the humble person is able to say, I don't see everything about myself. Therefore, I need an outside perspective. Help me to understand. Help me to see. And I want to tell you, we, we want, you want your marriage to be healed. You want your, 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 your relationships with friends and such to be healed. It, it comes through humility. Help me to see what I don't see. But the Pharisees don't say that because they think they see clearly already. And consequently, the Pharisees in this text here, not only do they not see everything about themselves, they don't see everything about God. And humility confessed, I don't see everything about God. The Pharisees believe we know everything about God. And because of that, they missed God when God was right in front of their face. They had such a fixed idea of how God moves, what God does, how God intervenes. And because it was so fixed in their mind, whenever it didn't line up to their own expectations, they missed out on how God would come. And it's often the case that we have such a view about God in our lives that when God shows up in ways that we were not expecting, we often miss the God who's right in front of our face because our vision has been compromised and we miss what's right in front of our face. I'm reminded of a story of a conversation by Sherlock Holmes and his sidekick Watson. And the story would go like this here that Sherlock and Watson were on a camping trip. And after a good meal, they lay down for the night and went to their tent to sleep. And some hours later, Sherlock awoke and nudged his friend Watson and said, Watson, look up. Tell me what you see. And Watson replied, I see millions and millions of stars. What does that tell you, Sherlock asked. And Watson pondered for a minute. He said, well, astronomically, it tells me that there are millions of galaxies and potentially billions of planets. Astrologically, I observed that Saturn is in Leo. Chronologically, I deduce that the time is approximately a quarter past three. Theologically, I can see that God is all-powerful and that we are small and insignificant. Meteorologically, I suspect that we will have a beautiful day tomorrow. Why? What does this tell you, Sherlock? And Sherlock said, Watson, you idiot. It tells me someone has stolen our tent.
<laughs> Where do I go from here? Uh, just sometimes we are so blind that we miss what's right in front of us. And we miss the ways God is active in our lives. The Pharisees missed the very presence of God because they were so stubborn and believed I could see with clarity. And yet they couldn't see who was walking in their midst. And I want to tell you today, we gather together as the people of God. For some of you, you're in church today and you're wondering, is God active in my life? I don't see God. Where is God? For some of you, maybe this past week or a week before, you went to the doctor and you got a bad report from the doctor and you're wondering, where is God? I don't see. And we gather as the body of Christ to confess in song and in sermon and in the table that God is active and moving and present in your life. For some of you, you lost a job recently and you're wondering where in the world is God? I don't see God. Where is God? But we gather as the people of God to be reminded in song and in preaching and at the table that God is active and God is moving and God is present in your life. For some of us, you can't see your marriage is crumbling, friendships around you are deteriorating, and you're wondering where in the world is God, and we gather as the people of God to be reminded that, yes, God is active and moving and present in your life. For some of you, you have children that are wayward, they're doing their own thing, making all kinds of crazy decisions, and you're wondering where is God, and we gather together to be reminded that you might not be able to see it, but God is active and moving and present in your life. And so the question is, will I open myself up and confess? I have blind spots. I don't always see it. God, give me vision to see. The humble person says, I recognize I don't see. I recognize I need an outsider's perspective. I recognize I need my eyes to be open. But the proud person says, I see just fine. I don't need anyone's help. My vision is crystal clear. And yet, as the Pharisees go on, they become more and more and more blind. And this blind man, because he's allowed Jesus to touch his eyes, sees clearer and clearer and clearer and clearer. Here's the question for us. Which trajectory are you on? Are you on the trajectory of the Pharisees? where you're just closing yourself up, maybe because of pride, maybe because of shame, and you're saying you're defensive, someone gives you a little bit of feedback, you wanna fight, you close up on the inside, you miss potential opportunities to grow, or are you gonna be open like this blind man and allow Jesus to touch your eyes and allow Jesus, even through people, to help you on your journey? May we be like this blind man who says, I, I don't know much, but this is what I do know. I was once blind, but now I see. And may that be what defines our lives as we follow Jesus in the world. And in order to do that, we must open ourselves up to the kind of healing that only Jesus can bring. Let's pray together.
we come to the table of communion to receive the sights that only Jesus can give and the vision that only Jesus can give. Where have you closed yourself off? Which trajectory are you on? Lord Jesus, we confess, Lord, that we often believe we see very clearly. And for so many of us, we get stuck. And we're stubborn. And we don't want to change. Because change sometimes is difficult. But Lord, give us vision. Heal our eyes. And help us to confess, Lord, that we have so many blind spots about ourselves, about you, and about the world around us. We open ourselves up to you now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's all stand together. In a moment, the ushers are going to lead us to receive communion. And as we always do, take bread and dip it in a cup and go back to your seat and just hold it there. And I'll come back up and I'll, I'll lead us to receive it together. But as you take bread and dip it in the cup, go back to your seat and just hold it and maybe ask Jesus to help you begin to name and confess that you don't see as clearly as you think you do. In all kinds of areas in our lives, I don't see. And may God begin to do a work in our lives. Let's pray this prayer of confession that's on the screen. And we pray it together to remind ourselves that we're all in the same boat. We need forgiveness. We need to repent. We need to confess our sins and open ourselves up to the healing that comes in Jesus' name. Let's pray this together. Almighty God, our heavenly Father, we have sinned against you and our neighbor through our own fault in thought, in word, in deed, in what we have done, in what we have left undone. For the sake of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, forgive us all our offenses and grant that we may serve you in newness of life to the glory of your name.
Let me invite you to close your eyes for a moment. Just to center our attention on Jesus. The Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he returns. As the people of God, freely forgiven by the faithful love of Jesus Christ, let's all receive together. Amen. As we close our service, I want to invite our prayer team to come to my left. One of the more humble acts that we can uh, do as a follower of Jesus is to receive prayer. Because we're recognizing that I don't see often what's happening in myself or what God is doing. And I need an outsider's perspective. And when we pray for one another, by God's grace, God begins to meet us and speak to us and come to us. And so our prayer team is here for whatever needs you have. For some of you, maybe you've been so defensive and locked up on the inside that any kind of feedback, correction, perspective, you take it with dismissiveness, defensiveness, because something is now being touched inside of you. And for us who are living in that defensiveness, we want to root ourselves in the love of Jesus, that there's nothing to protect, there's nothing to hide. We are frail, we are all broken, and we are deeply loved by God. And then for some of us, you're having a hard time locating God. You're like, what is God up to? I can't see. Well, I had a particular perspective or expectation about God, and it's not happening. You just need someone to pray for you, to intercede on your behalf. Or perhaps you've come into this building today and you're not a follower of Jesus. You've never made a decision to say, I want to follow Christ. I want to receive his love. I want forgiveness of sins. I want everlasting life. And if you sense God drawing you in that way, our prayer team is here to pray for whatever need you have. As we close, let me invite you to open your hands towards heaven to receive a blessing. And our team will be here as long as we need to, to pray for you. So with your hands and your hearts in a posture of receiving brothers and sisters, sons and daughters of the living God, may the Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face to shine upon you and fill you with peace. And may you walk out of this building in the power of the Holy Spirit. Allowing Jesus to touch your eyes. 
and give you the vision he longs for you to have. I bless you all today in the strong, in the beautiful, in the healing name of Jesus Christ. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Grace and peace to you all.